What we've been looking at over the past few weeks, the series we've been in, uh, is called Becoming the Villain. And the reason why it's titled that is because it kind of follows the trajectory of King Saul. Uh, King Saul's life is one that has been fascinating to me because we think of King Saul as a negative character. And certainly that is what he becomes, but King Saul was not always a negative character. He was not always the crazed, you know, bent on jealousy, trying to kill David, going, you know, just overboard like a crazy person. He wasn't always that. In fact, he was this righteous, humble, lowly guy who, when he was anointed as king, didn't even think that he was worthy of such an honor and just would have no part of it. He hid in cattle when they were trying to coronate him because he did not feel like he was worthy. So he was a man, a godly man the man that God handpicked and anointed to be king. So he started off so well, but over the course of his life, he just got further and further and further away. And as much as we like to villainize and demonize him, his story is so common uh, because the worst among us and those of us that have made the biggest mistakes, it's not because you were born evil and it wasn't because things have always been this way. It's because somehow over our trajectory, we stepped off the path or we did something and before we knew it, we ended up kind of in the same place that King Saul is. So that's why I've been wanting to study him is so we could safeguard our lives so that we don't make the same mistakes. And where we start here, we know the Lord, we come to the Lord and end up just farther and farther away as we go. Um, But as we begin today's though, I think we can all agree that it's one thing to follow Christ when the will of God for your life seems to align pretty well with what already makes sense to you, right? It's it's not so hard to be faithful to Christ when the things that Christ is asking you to do make sense and you're pretty comfortable with. But it's another thing altogether to remain faithful to God when he seems to be asking you to do some things that maybe aren't exactly what you would usually do in a situation, that, that don't make sense. Those are two completely different things. I mean, listen, if God asks me to serve him by kicking back on the couch and watching Netflix and eating chicken wings, I will be the most faithful person that this planet has ever seen. That aligns with my interests, okay? I am there. I will follow the will of God to the T. But however, when the will of God starts nudging me to move outside of my comfort zone, he starts leading me in a direction that I'm not particularly crazy about, or even in a direction where I'm looking and I just don't see how this makes sense, how it could possibly work, that's when you can truly tell how faithful I am. Not when the times where God's will aligns with mine, it's in the times where God's will seems to be different than mine, that's when you know how faithful I truly am. Uh, There's a woman that I read uh, read about many times in the past, but I was reading about again this week, and you've probably heard of her. But her name is Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, if you do not recognize her name, you may recognize her husband's name, Jim Elliot. Uh, they were missionaries back in the 50s in Ecuador. Uh, her husband, Jim Elliot, was passionate about reaching the tribes of people in the Ecuadorian jungle who had never been contacted by outsiders. Uh, he was wanting to preach gospel to people who had never even met outsiders, much less heard the gospel of God before. And Jim uh, and several other missionaries and his wife and everybody included, they started just diving headfirst into that work. And they actually 
started to establish friendly relationships with one tribe in particular. But if you know Jim Elliott's story, you know that his story ends tragically. See, Jim and four other missionaries were attacked by the warriors of the tribe that they had been trying to establish relationships with, and they were killed with spears before they could really preach the gospel to them like they wanted to. Well, Jim being killed by this tribe left Elizabeth, a widow, with a 10-month-old baby girl. 10-month-old. So in her life at this point, okay, you and your husband were trying this crazy dream to reach the unreached peoples of the jungle, but it didn't work. Your husband was murdered by this tribe who clearly wanted no, nothing to do with your mission work. So the only thing that makes sense for her is to move back home where it's safe and to raise your daughter in peace, right? That is the only thing that makes sense in this situation. Well, she decided instead that she would continue to live among this tribe that killed her husband and that she would continue the missionary work that got her husband killed. She ends up taking care of two women from that tribe, and they taught her the language, and she went and lived as a missionary among them for years afterwards, and they ended up seeing God move like crazy among this tribe. Why did she do that? It wasn't because it made sense, and it's probably not because she wanted to. I imagine that she was angry, how could you not be angry at these people? But she felt God calling her to do that. And so because she felt God calling her, she was willing to do it. And that's the part that blows my mind when I hear this story is because that could not have been her first choice. It could not have been her preference. And it certainly does not make sense. Nothing about it makes sense. A group of people murders your husband simply because he's a missionary. You do not then move there with your newborn daughter and try your hand at mission work with the people who killed your mission work husband. You leave, you find safety, you try to live as happy a life as you can with your daughter. You certainly don't go and try to preach to the primitive tribe that just murdered your husband for preaching. You don't do that unless that's what you think God is telling you to do and that's what matters in your life more than anything else. So as I mentioned earlier, we're looking at the life of King Saul. And what we're going to see today is that one of his big downfalls is that he's only willing to be faithful to God when it makes sense to him. When the will of God seems to align with the will of Saul. When God's commands didn't line up with what Saul thought was best, God's command was ignored. And Saul's own commands, his own preferences win the day. So I want us to look together at 1 Samuel chapter 15. I'm going to have you stand with me as we read. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 15, and I'm going to read the first 22 verses. 1 Samuel 15. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what... Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man, woman, child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. 
And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart, go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites and Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatted calves and of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told to Samuel that Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, this is Saul speaking, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop, I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, you are not the head, uh, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord voice a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as he does in you obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. You can be seated. So I know that was kind of a long story. What we have in this passage is really one of Saul's most deliberate and specific acts of disobedience thus far. See, through the prophet Samuel, God tells Saul to destroy all of the Amalekites because of the way that they treated Israel when Israel was coming out of Egypt during the Exodus. And his instructions are very clear. He gives instructions to destroy every place, every person, every animal, he is specific, he is detailed, he is unambiguous about what he expects Saul and the Israelite armies to do. And his instructions are to kill everything and everyone. Okay, now I know that this is one of those passages that is frankly difficult for us to grapple with because when we read it, we see a distinct lack of mercy and we see sheer violence when we see this passage. But a few weeks ago, we spent a little bit of time talking about that, so I'd like to focus on other things from the story today. Uh, today, I just want us to acknowledge that Saul and his army disobeyed the direct command of God by sparing the Amalekite king Agag, which, by the way, is a wonderful name. 
baby boy coming. If you're looking for a good name, Agag is a good biblical name. I would just throw that in there. That's okay. So they spare Agag, but also the sheep and the cattle, the oxen that looked good. You see, God says, destroy all the cattle. Don't take them. And Saul says, well, what's the harm in taking the cattle? It looks good. We can use that. Cattle is wealth, basically. And God says, don't spare King Agag. Saul says, well, what's the purpose? He could be a strategic ally or maybe a strategic partner in the, the area. Why should we do this? See, you have God's will, and then you have Saul's opinions, and Saul's opinions is what Saul acts on, not what he knows the will of God is. What happened is that Saul exercises his own judgment over God's. Now, we've looked at Saul's pride and arrogance already in this series, but today with this story, we see him moving into the total denial of God's authority in his own life. Saul's not really one foot in, one foot out like he kind of was before. At this point, he's just denying God. And it's true that Saul never falls into the trap of worshiping other gods, which I guess is a positive thing. But it's also likely true that Saul didn't really view Yahweh as much different than any of the other gods of the area either. In fact, by this point in the story, the only God that really seems to matter in Saul's life is Saul, right? That's the only God that Saul is really listening to at this point. Saul seems to have had a generally positive attitude towards God. He didn't seem to hate God or anything. He seems to have generally wanted God's blessing for himself and for Israel. But when God's commands ask him to do something that doesn't make sense to him, he chooses his own way. What a contrast between the example of Elizabeth Elliot and King Saul where you have Elizabeth Elliot over here who is willing to do what seems ludicrous, actually what is ludicrous, willing to do that, going deep into the jungle to do mission work with the tribe that killed her husband for doing mission work because she knew it was God's will, because she knew God was asking her to. She was willing to do it despite it being ridiculous. On the other hand, you have King Saul, who when asked to do something that frankly sounds less ridiculous than that, decides to take matters into his own hands and to do what makes sense to him, to do what enriches himself. And before we really just throw Saul off the cliff here, this is something that we all have to decide from time to time and that most of us have probably slipped up on. The question is that we have to deal with, are we willing to walk with God even when he leads us into situations and even when he gives us instructions that we think are a little questionable, a little scary, a little uncomfortable, or maybe even that just plain seems dumb. We look at the plan, we look at what God is asking and say, no, that, that, can't, that can't work. Or are we willing to follow him even when we don't understand what in the world he's got up his sleeve? When we don't understand what in the world he's thinking, are we still willing to follow him? Elizabeth Elliot was, Saul wasn't. The question is, what about us when we're in that situation? I want to talk for a little bit, really the remainder of the, this, this sermon, about the real danger of Saul constantly going against God's will, though. Because we've seen him do this a few times now already in our story. Uh, we saw him in the first week wrongfully take on the role of prophet and priest and make this sacrifice before the battle instead of waiting on Samuel to come and do it, which is what was commanded of him. 
Last week we saw him starving his soldiers because he's elevating his rules to be the same as God's rules. And today we see him just straight up disobeying God by sparing Agag and select animals instead of devoting them all to destruction. When we allow ourselves, and this is the point that I really want to talk a bit about for the rest of the service. When we allow ourselves to step off the path of God that he has put us on, the problem is really twofold. There's really two layers of problems that we face. First and most obviously, when we sin, that particular sin is a dangerous problem for us because doing that thing, whatever it is, it separates us from God and it puts us in spiritual danger and sometimes even physical or emotional danger as well. So the first problem of sin is the obvious one. It's the ramifications, the immediate ramifications of that sin. But secondly, and this is where the real trap is, the second problem of sin is that every time we take a step off the path, it makes it easier to take that step off the path next time. And in my opinion and in my experience, the real poison of sin in our lives is that it desensitizes us to our sin in the future. When we allow ourselves to do it the one time, it gets a little bit easier next time and a little bit easier and a little bit easier. And a particular sin or disobedience the first time may scare the life out of you. It may make you feel nervous. It may make you feel guilty. You may lose sleep over it the first time you do this. But you know what? The next time, it's a little bit easier. It's not quite as hard next time. And then a little easier and a little easier. And before long, you won't even think twice about being involved with a particular sin because you've done it so many times, it doesn't even seem like anything out of the ordinary. It doesn't even seem like you're, do, you're, you're off the path anymore. You've become desensitized to it. And you can get to the point where you may not even be aware or cognizant of the fact that you're just getting further and further and further off the path. I want to look at, at the, that conversation again that Saul has with Samuel when he's confronted with his disobedience is in 1 Samuel 15, 13 through 20. We read this before, but I want to read it again because keep in mind, this is right after Saul clearly disobeyed the word of God. Samuel came to Saul and Saul says to him, blessed be you to the Lord. This line gets me. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel, the sarcasm in Samuel, I love. This is why Samuel is one of my favorite, where I feel like we're really, we're, we're kin because of the way he's a smart aleck. He says, oh yeah, you, you did the will of God? So what's all this bleeding of sheep that I hear? What's the lowing of oxen that I hear? Is that my imagination? Did you just bring that to the battle for, you know, were they, you know, uh, emotional support oxen? Like, what, what, why do you, why am I hearing these things? And Saul says, they have been brought from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice God, to the Lord your God and the rest we have devoted to destruction. So Saul basically says, yeah, I did the will of God except for the parts that I didn't do. And Samuel says to Saul, stop, let me tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king of Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission. Samuel's gonna remind him of what God said. Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why did you then not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil? Why did you keep the best for yourself and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? There's no question that they both, he's just laying it out. God said to do this. You even just admitted you did this. 
You cannot say that you did the will of the Lord. But Saul responds to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. I've brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. Samuel, I don't know what his hair situation was like, but if he had some, he would have been pulling it out at this point. It's like arguing with your toddler, right? It's like, you did this. Like, like, why did you steal the cookie from the cookie jar? I didn't. I just took the cookie out of the cookie jar. Yeah, I know. Like, that's the conversation that Saul and Samuel are having right now. And I love that Saul starts the conversation so confidently. That greeting that he gave to Samuel was basically saying, huzzah, I've done what God said. Everybody, just take it easy. Let's, let's take a weekend, everyone. And Samuel says, no, you didn't. God said, leave no survivors. Don't take their cattle. And Saul replies to that saying, no, you don't get it. I, I let some survivors survive, and then I took some cattle. See, I did what God said. And Saul, uh, Samuel's just sitting there looking at him with his mouth wide open. And Saul's just sitting there grinning like an idiot, nodding. See, I did what God said. Now, there's two ways of interpreting this, okay? You can look at this conversation and say, you know what? Either he's being dishonest and he's just trying to fool Samuel by saying, no, 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 the thing I did was what God said. Like maybe he's just trying to have alternative facts and just kind of tell, no, 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 this, is, this was the right thing to do. Or, and this is what I think is the case, Saul has sinned over and over again, and now he's so desensitized to his own sin, and he's so desensitized to disobeying God that he doesn't even realize that he's disobeying anymore. It's just second nature to him at that point. I think that's what's going on. I don't think he's playing dumb. I think he is dumb. <laughs> I think that allowing himself to stray all the times before has made him dumb to when he now strays even more. I think he's been desensitized to it. And I think that most of us in the room can affirm that this is what sin does to us if we allow it. It's never just one little sin. It's never just one little act of disobedience because that little act that seems so small, it greases the tracks for us to go back and do it again and again, only next time with a little less guilt than the first time, and the time after that, even less guilt than the second time. You remember last week's quote at the end of the service from Ravi Zacharias about how sin always takes you further than you want to go? Remember that quote? This is why. Because it always comes back for more, and it keeps pushing a little further every single time. Back when I was in youth ministry, you know, a decade or 100 years ago, whenever that was, I would occasionally get that big, scary question from my teens, and you may even be able to predict what that question is. How far is too far, right? You know what I'm talking about when that question comes up. I used to actually try to give a black and white answer for that, but eventually my answer has evolved to basically this. Here's the answer that I wound up settling on. My answer is, I'm honestly not sure, but what I do know is that how far you go this time will be at least how far you go next time. Only next time it will be easier and require less thought and less internal struggle. So if you're worried about going too far, the only safe thing to do is to stop trying to see how much you can get away with and be okay, and instead follow the advice that we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. 
where we read, so flee youthful passions, flee and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. This is not a message for teenagers. This is a message for all of us. Because the lesson, in other words, the question for us should never be, how close can I get to sin without sinning? If that's our question, we've already turned our hearts away from God and towards ourselves and towards our own will. Our question should be, how can I most pursue holiness? How can I most pursue righteousness and be set apart for God? How close can I get to perfection? Not how close can I get to sin? No one in their right mind would say, well, if you want to be safe from falling off a cliff, then the thing to do is to just walk right up to the edge of that cliff and then walk along it and then just don't fall off. That's all you got to do. You just, you know, don't fall off. Of course not. What would you tell your child? You would say, don't go near the edge of the cliff. Keep as far away as you can get from the edge of the cliff just in case. You might get pushed. You might step on a rock. You might be a very violent sneezer. I don't know. Anything could happen. You could fall right over. The closer you are to the cliff, the more likely it is that you tumble right over the edge. Lives aren't usually destroyed overnight. It happens over time because after the first step in the wrong direction, that next step was a little bit easier and it worried you a little bit less and it bothered you a little bit less. The faithful people of God don't wind up distant strangers to God overnight. It happens because the first wrong step led way to the second wrong step. And before you know it, it's easy to be sprinting in the wrong direction because we have been desensitized to our own sin. It doesn't bother us the way that it used to. We don't even notice it the way we used to. And as Wesleyans, we are clear about what our path of discipleship should look like. We echo God's command in Leviticus to be holy for I am holy. Be different than everyone else. Don't compromise even for a second because it will not stay just a second. It will not stay just one act. As I close, um, there's a quote from Eugene Peterson uh, that I really like. He was a Christian writer and theologian. He actually just passed away last year. Uh, he described the Christian life as a long obedience in the same direction. I love that. Eugene Peterson called the Christian life a long obedience in the same direction. I want you to think about a picture like this. I think I have a picture uh, right here. You can see this road stretching straight ahead for as far as you can see. I don't see twists, turns. I certainly see ups and downs. I see crests and I see valleys. I see everything in between, but it is one road in one direction as far as I can see it. This is what we are called to pursue with our Christian life. It's We're not called to veer to the left and to the right. And when God has set the path before us, us to get off and on, off and on, we are called to have a life of long obedience in the same direction, not compromising, not charting a course just one degree to the right. Ask anyone who, you know, it's, uh, you know, operated ships and boats and things like that, if you go one degree to the left or to the right, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but a couple miles down the road, guess what? You're far away from where you ever wanted to be. Peterson is talking about the kind of life that stands in stark contrast to King Saul's. 
King Saul's life is he had this road in front of him, but every time he sees God asking him or telling him to do something that didn't make sense, there's a left turn or there's a right turn or we veer off the path. Peterson says, no, 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 it's long obedience in the same direction, allowing the path that God has put before us to keep beckoning us forward consistently. Yes, God uses King Saul a lot. He uses King Saul to defend Israel in some places, but Saul's obedience was not long, and it was certainly not always in the direction towards God. Saul's obedience was short-lived and full of deviations after, uh, off of the long path. So my final exhortation to you is to let's be a people who truly let our lives be a long obedience in the same direction. Let us not allow the compromise of sin and disobedience into our lives, even once just for this small thing, because we, you have to know that the first step always makes the second step easier. And the next step will always be a little bit easier than that one. And all the stigma and worry and guilt that you felt the first time you stepped off the path, it melts away. And we are desensitized to it. And before you know it, we don't even care what path we're on. We're just going our own direction and not giving it a second thought. We cannot allow ourselves to give in to sin, even the once, because it desensitizes us and pushes us to be able to do it easier the next time and the next time. As good Nazarenes, what we would say is, let's be a holy people. Let that be what we pursue. Our goal cannot be, how normal, according to the world, can we be and still be good with God? How close can we get to sin, but not actually sinning and still be okay with God? That can't be our pursuit. As 2 Timothy says, let our pursuit be righteousness. Let's let that be the target that we aim for. Because if our target is righteousness, the righteousness at the end of this road, if that is our target, then we won't be tempted to go left or right. We are gonna be pursuing righteousness and holiness for everything that we are. So we can't do what King Saul did. That conversation, it's humorous to me to read that just because of how dumb Saul sounds. He's like, oh, I did it. I did everything right. Samuel said, no, you clearly didn't. And Saul says, yeah, I did everything right. I think he's desensitized because he had disobeyed and disobeyed and disobeyed and now he doesn't even realize it. And we do the same thing. So our key is not to see how close we can get and come back. Our key is to pursue righteousness and never get off the path to start with. We have to learn from King Saul so that we don't get desensitized to sin and wind up in a place that we never, ever intended to be. If you will, stand with me and let's close in prayer.